But instead of just seeing that and kind of, you know, whatever, going on to the next thing, he decided to take a look at the rules of the sportsbook, the rules of Caesar Sportsbook. And he found a section called innings betting. Hey, what's up, everybody? GP13 here coming with a new episode of the Risk Takers podcast. This one's going to specifically focus on uh, giving you guys an overview, uh, guys and gals, an overview of bottom-up betting. So since my podcast with JFAR, um, I've gotten a lot of DMs about, you know, what is bottom Like, first, just describe it. Um, that was in the comments of the YouTube video and a lot of DMs like what is bottom up betting? How do I get started? Um, uh, what are some examples of it? So since usually when I get a lot of DMs about something, I realize it's probably a good topic to, to make a podcast about. And since this is, um, on a lot of our minds after the JFAR episode, then seems like a good time to do it. So I want to uh, jump right into it. So bottom-up betting is essentially the uh, cousin, the other side of the coin to top-down. Top-down is what a lot of people listening to know as plus EV betting, and it's essentially just comparing discrepancies between different sports books and using those discrepancies to try and find a price. So you're not trying to come up with your own price, but you're trying to use the sports books, determine who might be better at pricing of the sports books, and then use their price. Bottom up is you're creating your own price, you're creating your own bet. Um, and because actually not all bottom up means you're creating your own uh, price, what I would call bottom up is it's if every sports book had the same price, you would never find a bet in top down, right? So if, if literally like the Chiefs first Eagles was minus three, minus 110 across every single sports book, top down betting would never find a bet there. Bottom up betting would occasionally, you know, probably not, but bottom up betting would have a chance of finding a bet. And that's how I would differentiate it. So top down betting, if every single sports book has the same line, then there will not be a bet found. Bottom up is any strategy that could find a bet, even if every sports book had the same line. So the reason I say that is because I think there are, I split bottom up betting into two categories in my head. And the two categories are modeling and angles. So I'll touch on modeling first. Modeling is what I think most people think about when they think about uh, bottom up. Modeling, you know, is is it's an ambiguous term, but generally the idea is you take some data from a sport, right? You try and organize it, clean it, structure it, which is the hard part of modeling. You know, definitely the hard part is getting all the right data, getting it to work with any with each other, building the database so you can manipulate it, et cetera. That's that's the tough part. And then using that data to inform some kind of uh, price on a bet, you know, some kind of fair value on a bet. The same fair value that you would get from, you know, your top-down strategy where you're using 
other sports books. And in that situation, you're using other sports books models, right? So the same way that you're getting a fair value from the models of other sports books in modeling as a bottom up uh, practice, you're getting a fair value from your own model, your own inputs. So I heard uh, there's uh, someone who said on Twitter, this is Bowtie, Bowtie Better, who's one of my f- absolute favorite follows on Twitter, if you don't follow that account. But they said, we were talk- I think we had a little talk on, on Twitter about you know what is pure originating and what is um, top down. And he said, like pure, pure originating would be someone locked in a room who has no idea of what's going on in the market and just spitting out a number, which doesn't, you know, and he said, which doesn't exist and would be stupid to do anyway. And I was like, yeah, that, that does make sense because the reason he said that and the reason we're having this conversation is part of modeling is spitting out your own number and then seeing where the market's at and adjusting based on where the market is. Usually you're regressing a little bit to the market from your model to the market and it's not in a vacuum. So when I say bottom up, I mean, bottom up, the best bottom up betters understand top down and use top down strategies in their betting. All right. So what are some skills you need for modeling? Um, the first skill is research. You need to be able to uh, quickly find information that you're missing because a lot of a lot of anything is just looking stuff up on Google, being good at Googling, being good at you know uh, expediting the process by finding information out there that you can quickly use instead of spending hours and hours uh, trying to come up with it yourself. So, like, let's say you're looking for, you know, oh, how many times has so-and-so gone over this line? Well, if there's already like a code repository somewhere that has uh, this exact thing, then instead of like trying to build it yourself, you could go and just use that. Very basic example, but it's, you know, always go look for something before spending hours and hours trying to build it yourself. Uh, And always, you know, try and figure out answers to your question, uh, questions as as efficiently as possible. As someone who switched from Excel to Python, um, I've done a ton of this research, looking it up, using other people's stuff, asking friends, you know, just being scrappy and using what's out there and trying to learn along the way. So research is very important for modeling. Um, I would say domain knowledge. And this one, I say some domain knowledge. That being said, I still think I might even go above some. I wrote some, but now I might go to a lot of domain knowledge because you need to know what to look for and you can't just back test. You can't just optimize for historic data and expect to win on it, right? So you need to have some kind of thesis about something that changed or something that's not being taken into account by the market. And you want to have a model that connects with reality instead of, you know, trying to fit something perfectly to the historic data, which has shown in many different markets to be a surefire way to lose a lot of money. Now, why I said some was because if you think about someone like Pick'em Expert, who's um, really locked in on correlation, I think that's an example where he started out, didn't have a ton of domain knowledge, and still built a winning model uh, because he was very good at basically modeling correlation. 
and getting gathering data and doing all the important things like database management um, and all that stuff. And then he learned along the way, he started to you know follow the sports and gain some more domain knowledge. But he's a good example of someone who came in and started winning without much domain knowledge. So it's, it's possible. Um, database management is super important. So that's like manipulating, cleaning, gathering data. So that could be scraping. That could be finding, you know, APIs that you can connect with and interact with that can be, um, creating your own data. You know, that's kind of low key, a very valuable thing in sports betting. If you're creating good, unique data, uh, that could be something that, you know, you're the only one leveraging programming important skill. Now I said, can be Excel. That's where I started. And we did very well with Excel for a long period of time. So I'm not knocking Excel. That being said, I've transitioned the whole, uh, basically everything I do to Python over the last couple of months. And it's been night and day. Like I would never go back to Excel after learning Python. A lot of people, uh, program in R for sports betting modeling. That's another, a good language. And for the majority, I see some, some split of Excel, R and Python. So if you already know Excel, maybe start there. Or if you want to learn, if you don't know any of them, I would, you know, maybe choose R or Python and learn while making some kind of basic uh, model, right? And then the last skill you need is it's basic understanding of statistics. So your models are going to spit out, um, you know, like R squared or, or whatever, like they're going to, your models are going to be based on some type of, you know, could be a linear regression, something as simple as that, where you spit out an R squared and you have to know what that means. It's actually, you don't have to go take a class on statistics, um, but it's important to kind of understand the terms and how models work, you know, talk about training data and test data um, and kind of the intricacies of what's happening. And if you have domain knowledge, it's helpful because you won't get too lost in the sauce. You know, you won't, you won't be too swayed by, by just like your model outputs. But if you have both domain knowledge and some understanding of what the model is saying, it gives you a way to kind of idiot, idiot test the, uh, the model. So you don't lose a ton of money, you know? So those are the skills that you would need for modeling. And now let's just do a quick example of uh, what a sports betting model could be in practice. So what you could be doing is you could be looking at, so you, you want to go into a model thinking about like, what am I trying to predict here? What market is this model going to be for, right? Now you could be... Um, trying to predict something very niche like second half assists or something. Uh, you could be trying to predict a mainline market like NFL spreads. But what you want to do is you want to think about, okay, what am I trying to predict? So let's just go the second half assists because it's more um, accessible. It's, it's more realistic as something you might be able to model uh, and win at than NFL spreads, which is going to be much, much more difficult. So if you were thinking about how to predict second half assists, what would you need to know? Well, you probably need to know, um, you know, you're, you're doing this for, for each player. So you need to know, 
kind of just a baseline what second you know what are their second half assist numbers maybe what are their full game assist numbers then you'd have to know something like their lineup how many assists do they get you know what do certain players being in and out affect uh their assists what happens you know in the first half how does what happens in the first half affect their assists is there someone that they split time with that you need to you know, maybe do an input on their total fouls in the first half that might impact how much playing time that that person gets in the second half, right? So basically you're just trying to like determine how much this player is going to play, who they're going to play with, and then in those circumstances, like give them a, you know, efficiency rating on assists. So you would try and gather a couple different sets of data, combine them all together and spit out some kind of prediction on second half assists and then you would this point and this is where the top down comes in is you go look around the market see what what's posted out there and you might regress your model you know 20 percent to the market or something and there's no it's kind of an art because first you wouldn't regress it to just the market there's certain sports books that you would respect more on their second half assists and that comes from just following them you know so you would do some kind of composite or just pick one or two of the more respectable ones the ones that the market tends to move to and just use those and then how much you want to regress towards the market i mean i don't know the perfect way to do this i think i you know i've heard 20 percent um i've heard even higher i do different variations myself and it's more of like a finger to the wind but the the main point is that you have you have an idea of where the market's at and you move a little bit towards it to protect yourself against being really wrong so in that example we'd you know check the sharp books for assists we'd have our assist numbers and we would move our assist numbers slightly towards the assist numbers of the sharp books and then if we see any value, it's the same thing. You got a fair, you got a line, and you make your bet. So that's uh, just a basic example of modeling. Okay, and now the second half of bottom hook up betting, which I break down in my my head to to modeling and to angles, is angles. So when I think about angles, I'm thinking about um, still a bet that doesn't show value in a top down sense, but it's not a pure output of a model. It's not you have a bunch of data that comes in to your model and it spits out, you know, LeBron 27.5 points and you see the lines 30 and you know the, you know, the probability difference between, you know, one point and you say, "Oh, so he's, you know, 60% to go under. I can, you know, take the under." That would be from a model an angle is you're not going to have necessarily a fair price, but you will have a very strong, you will have very strong evidence that the bet is a good bet. And these are going to be based on more heavily on domain knowledge, understanding sportsbook rules. Um, you know, correlation, of course, is going to play a, play a role in a lot of these. And you're going to, you know, make a bet where you don't necessarily have a fair, but you know, it's a really good bet. And I'm actually going to give an example of this first, because I think it's not as easy for everybody to picture, but a couple examples, you know, one would be 
the Mikhail Bridges situation. Uh, we all remember that that game where you know he was preserving his Iron Man streak and he played a couple minutes and then sat out. So a lot of people, not a lot, but some people who knew the NBA very, very well understood the coach talk, understood Bridges' Iron Man streak, and understood that while um, they were going to sit some starters, that he was probably going to go in, play just enough to, you know, preserve the streak, and then leave the game and kind of rest with some of the rest of the starters. Now, what happened in that situation is people knew that this was likely to happen. They didn't know the exact fair value. How do you put a price on that? How do you put a price on um, guessing that someone's going to try and preserve their Ironman streak? So what what betters did, what the sharp betters did, was they took a lot of same-game parlays correlated on bridges unders, right? So basically saying like a ton of unders parlayed together that he's not going to get you know X amount of minutes, but he will set foot on the court to preserve the streak. So it's like he will play, so the bets will stand, but he will not play enough to, you know, get any of his stats up to the line, you know, that the books have set for them. So that's a great example of one of the more recent popular angles, which, um, you know, people want a lot of money on. Uh, Golf correlation, another one. Like you might not know exactly the correlation between two golfers scores, but you know that, you know, the overs and unders are correlated if the course plays hard or easy. So you're willing to place a bet by knowing that about golf, that, you know, a course could play hard that day, play easy because of the conditions, because of the course. So you're willing to place a bet without necessarily knowing a fair or having a model tell you this is the exact probability um, of these two golfers going over, but you can know the game well enough to know that you can place that bet, right? And the skills you need to do this are great research skills, like beyond great. Think about how think about the Bridges situation. You have to know about his Ironman streak. You have to heard the coach talk about you know sitting starters. You have to remember that it happened last year. So I've been paying attention long enough, or researched it enough to know it, it happened last year. And you need to have great domain knowledge, great domain knowledge, bridges situation. Again, like you're not going to know that unless you know basketball, right? You're not going to be able, you're not going to have followed the bridges situation long enough to remember what happened last year to follow the coach speak enough to understand what to do. Right. And to know like how many minutes is he actually going to play? Like if you told me that I'd be like, well, I still don't, I don't get it. Does that mean he's going to actually play? the whole game to preserve a streak. Like I know nothing about basketball. So I'm still, even if you told that to me, I still wouldn't be as effective of putting it into practice as somebody who has really good domain knowledge and knows exactly how the situation is going to play out most of the time. Right. So to play these angles, you have to have great research, great domain knowledge, or great understanding of a sports books rules. Right. So there's plenty of, there's plenty of situations where like rules have, create an opportunity for betters to, you know, make profitable bets if you read the terms and conditions of the sports book. And to to finish up, I wanted to give an example of an angle that relies on knowing the house rules. So like a house rules angle. Um, and this falls under research, you know, always learn the rules of the market you're betting in. Uh, no matter what, we've found plenty of gold in the TOCs and the rules of, uh, you know, the 
house rules of a sports book over the years. So always check the rules. There might be something in there that either makes you a lot of money or helps you uh, avoid losing a lot of money and not being able to get it back because you made a mistake that was clearly stated in the rules. So there is a good article on Unabated written by a professional better named Telemachus Model about an MLB situation that happened. I think it was in 2022 on Caesars Sports. And the situation was about ninth inning money line. So Caesars would offer um, inning money lines for each uh, for each inning in a game of baseball. And usually the money lines would be like pretty close depending on uh, you know, whatever the, the relative strength of the team. But he offers an example in his article where he shows the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning money lines of a Rockies at Miami Mar- Marlins game. So each inning in the seventh inning, the Rockies are plus 115, Marlins are minus 135. In the eighth inning, Rockies are plus 120, Marlins are minus 140. In the ninth inning, Rockies are minus 220. Marlins are plus 180. So that's a total flip because the Marlins have gone from being about minus 130, minus 140 to plus 180. And he says, why, you know, why is that? We always have to ask why. And it's because in baseball, if the home team's winning, they will probably not get to bat in the ninth. So fair enough. The Rockies would basically just get to free roll the Marlins a large percentage of the time. And those numbers look right. But instead of just seeing that and kind of you know, whatever, going on to the next thing, he decided to take a look at the rules of the sportsbook, the rules of Caesar Sportsbook. And he found a section called innings betting. And these are the two rules. Rule number one, predict the team that will score the most runs in a specified inning. The full inning must be completed for bets to stand. In the event of a tie, this is rule two, bets will be void unless odds are quoted for the tie. The main thing that matters there, and you might already realize this, is the full inning must be completed for bets to stand. So the situation is the Rockies are no longer free-rolling the Marlins. Because if the Rockies, the Marlins have you know won the game and the Rockies have scored in the ninth but haven't scored enough to uh, beat the Marlins in the actual baseball game, then the bet will void. So that whole ninth inning advantage that the away team has is taken away because the bet voids if the inning's not completed. So what ends up happening is the ninth inning money line should look very similar to the eighth inning money line, right? And but you're getting a like a price that's like twice as good on it. You're getting plus 180 instead of minus 140. And the only reason this is a good bet is because of the house rules that say the full inning must be completed on other books. You know, the full inning probably didn't have to be completed and they were, you know, giving the line out as minus 220 plus 180, but on Caesars it did. So they ran with this angle for a while, made a lot of money and it wouldn't have happened if they didn't dig into the TOCs and the, you know, the house rules. So Anyway, those are kind of some examples of what I would call angles. Another uh, bottom-up strategy takes good research, great um, domain knowledge, and a willingness to kind of place a bet without knowing the exact fare. And um, yeah, and just keep digging. So anyway, that's that's my kind of 
30, 25 minute overview on bottom up. I, it's very basic, but I just wanted to give everybody a kind of a taste of what's out there in the space. What are some different ways you can start with uh, bottom up? What are the ways that might be more suited to your strengths or, you know, your weaknesses? How much time do you have? You know, that all factors into how you would want to attack it, build it into your process. But the good part about being a top down better is you already understand how the market works, how to price shop, how, you know, steam chasing works. Like this is all valuable stuff that makes you a better bottom up. So I would just look at it as like a natural progression of your, you know, sports betting skill, your sports betting journey, as people say. So hope that was helpful. Thanks everyone again for listening and I will see you on the next episode.